Come, all you who are weary, for the promise is rest. Come, all who are heavy laden, for here burdens may be laid aside. Come, all who rejoice, and lift up your voices. Come, all who seek, for it is here that we search together. Friends, it is my joy and privilege to welcome you to worship this day, whether you are gathered here or joining us online. We are thankful that God brings us together as one people to worship and to learn and to praise God's holy name. As we prepare for worship, I hope you'll look through your bulletin and remember that the days are surely coming where there will be many more words in this booklet as we get ready for the fall. Um, September 11th, things will uh, begin with a time of fellowship after worship on our annual rally day. So be sure to mark your calendars and be ready for that celebration. Next week, however, as we get ready for the school year, all are welcome to our annual back-to-school blessing following worship at 11 o'clock. Students of all ages, teachers, and those of you who would like to join us in prayer are welcome to gather on the front lawn as we will bless our backpacks, create some things for our new college students, and have a time of celebration as the new year begins. If you have any questions or are looking for more information, you can find that in the bulletin. Friends, we gather here as the people of God, blessed and redeemed and welcomed. And so let us call one another to the important work of worship. Will you please rise and join me? Come, let us worship Almighty God. Let us lift up our songs, our prayers, our praises. Come, let us honor Christ Jesus. Let us love Christ with our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Come, let us be filled with the spirit of the living God. Breathe on us breath of God. Alleluia. Amen.
Please be seated. We are pulled in so many directions that sometimes we lose our way. God's steadfast love, however, seeks us out, finds us where we are, and shows us a different way. In confession, we call out, seeking God's love and forgiveness, seeking God's grace and assurance. We are bold to cry out because the promise is this, the one who seeks us has already found us. The one whose forgiveness we seek has already given it. So friends, we turn to the throne of grace and ask for God's mercy together this morning. Will you please pray with me? Holy God, you promise us a life full of blessing, but we do not always believe. You incite us to hope, but we fall back into fear. You urge us to give freely, but we cling to what we have. You call us to watch at all times for you, but we grow lazy and self-absorbed. Forgive us. Increase our hope, enlarge our hearts, and keep us alert to the wonders you work in the world every day. Amen. Christ is our peace. Those who were once divided, Christ has made whole. For the God who challenges us is the God who encourages us. The God who confronts us is the same God who accepts us. The God who convicts us is the same one who forgives us. Sisters and brothers, siblings divided no more. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and made whole. Alleluia. Amen. see we remember the Lord be with you and also with you awesome let's try it one more time the Lord be with you and also with you it is so good to see you this morning I need your help can you come up here I need you to look around this table right here you're gonna see some words and I want you to see if you can tell me what any of those John what else do we see Simon Philip Peter, Matthew, there's one without a name back there. Now, let's see. Some of these names maybe are familiar. Have you heard some of these names before? Who, what have you heard them before? Come, come sit down right here. Come on. Come on, my friend. Hey, Belle, it's so good to see you. Want to grab a seat right here? It's Jesus' followers. Come here and sit next to me. Will you sit right here, Bella? I know it's a lot up here. So Jesus called 12 friends 
12 disciples to be his helpers. And the disciples did all sorts of things. Sometimes the disciples got to go out and preach and tell people about God's love. And sometimes the disciples did things like find donkeys. And sometimes the disciples had to find bread when there wasn't enough food for everyone. And sometimes they had to get the crowds back because so many people wanted to see Jesus. And sometimes they had to welcome the children to come close. The disciples had lots of jobs. And I love that here at the front of the church, on the table, we have their names there. And I love that there's one that's missing, that's blank. Because you know whose name goes there? I think Piper, and I think Finley, and I think Bella, I think Briley, I think Elliot, I think maybe Rebecca, I think maybe Katie, I think maybe Bill. I think that blank one back there is a reminder that each of us are called to be the disciples too. So whenever we come into church and we look up here and we see those little tiny names, I want you to think of all the other names that could go on that table. All the other people who Jesus says, hey you, I need your help today. Can you help welcome a friend? Can you help share God's love? Can you help find a donkey? I can't wait for that Sunday. We say a prayer to ask for God to help us to follow and help others. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. So let's stretch our arms out. How wide is God's love? Oh, even bigger. And let's put our hands together and let our hands rest and take a deep breath with me. And now repeat after me. Dear God, help me follow. Just like the disciples. Help me share your love. Be with us this week. And keep us safe. And all together we say, Amen. Can you say Amen together? Amen. I'm going to have you follow Miss Katie and I'll join you after the scripture reading. Friends, will you please pray with me? God, our helper, show us your holy ways and teach us your paths. By your spirit, open our minds that we may be led in your truth and taught in your will. In our listening, may we be moved to praise and practice, declaring your love and sharing it with the world in need. Amen. A reading from the Psalter. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, the one who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
The, Lord's wor- the Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen. Our Gospel lessons this morning provides two snapshots from the stories of Holy Week as told to us in the Gospel of Luke. Friends, listen for the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And then we jump ahead from Palm Sunday to that first Maundy Thursday in chapter 22. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, Jesus said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several years ago at my church in South Bend, we planned a whole week of vacation Bible camp around our partnership with Heifer International, which many of you, I'm sure, knows, helps families and communities around the world build sustainable food models through live animal grants. During the planning, we thought it would be fun to see how many live animals or hands-on agricultural experiences we could bring in for the children. And so since we were right on the edge of rural Indiana, that was going to be pretty easy. I knew right from the start that we needed to bring in a goat for the children to meet, primarily because even though it's called Heifer International, a goat represents so well the essentials of sustainability that Heifer embodies. We call them the five M's, meat, milk, manure, materials, and money. For all the other animal experiences, we recruited farmers or experts who had the time and willingness to come and make their own presentations. 
But when it came to the goat, we had a local farmer who was willing to lend us a baby goat for the morning, but she couldn't make a presentation or bring the goat or, or anything. She couldn't even get it there for us that very first morning. We would have to pick up the goat ourselves. So because the goat was my idea, she was also my responsibility. Yes, you can see where this is going. So, in the weeks ahead, I planned and contemplated how I was going to get everything ready for the classes that week, drive to the farm, catch the goat in its field, which she had told me I was going to have to do, get to the church and be ready to welcome over 50 children and adult volunteers by 8.30 a.m. that first morning. I didn't want to feel rushed, and I didn't want to let anything slip through the cracks, so I came up with what was the only possible solution. We, my family, would pick up the goat on Sunday afternoon and keep it at our house overnight. It really seemed like a good idea at that time. We let the goat run around our fenced-in yard for the evening. I sat outside with it as Josh took Owen, who was just little at the time, inside to go to bed. I was sitting down talking on the phone with my dad as I watched the goat run and jump around the yard. No sooner did I say to my dad, I think that goat's going to try to jump the fence, than the goat jumped the fence and ran away down the street. As I chased a baby goat down a city street and then knelt on the road next to the car under which the goat was hiding, trying to figure out how I would coax it out, I wondered which one of my responsibilities or gifts as a pastor had gotten me into this specific position. Which of the classes had I attended in seminary was going to prepare me for this moment? Is this what it meant to be a pastor? Is this the high calling of ordained ministry in the name of Jesus Christ? Now, we can never know what those two disciples were thinking when Jesus sent them off to find a colt or a donkey, as it's described in many other Gospels, for his ride into Jerusalem that day. Did they complain to each other about how Peter and John always got the more glamorous tasks, and here they were, sent to wrestle a donkey back to their teacher? Did they ever think this This is what I left everything behind for, to fetch an animal? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth? It's just a couple chapters later, as we heard, when Peter and John were themselves out on a rather strange errand themselves, sent to make Passover arrangements. Did they wonder if this was actually a more fitting task for disciples like Thaddeus or Philip? It can't be outside the realm of possibility that they considered some of this work of meal preparation maybe more fitting for the women among them rather than themselves. Did one of them maybe react the way I would have to Jesus saying, you know, it's not really in my skill set to invite myself into someone else's house for a meal, Surely someone else would be better at this than me. The Gospels are full of moments when the disciples are called to do some pretty remarkable and powerful things. Healing, preaching, casting out demons. 
But as Rachel reminded the children this morning, they're also asked to do some pretty mundane things as well. These kind of supportive and unglamorous tasks that are essential to the ministry of Jesus Christ. In the early days of our family living and working in Egypt at the Presbyterian Seminary there, the seminary was in the midst of a major renovation to its chapel. And the most distinctive feature of that chapel was the new stained glass windows that were commissioned to be done in the Coptic Orthodox style, intended to represent the pastoral tasks that Jesus embodied. As men and women are prepared for leadership in the Egyptian church, those windows now serve as an illuminating reminder of their call to be like Christ in their love and care for and leadership of the church. You can see all four of those windows printed on your bulletin this morning. Jesus in prayer, Jesus teaching, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and Jesus the good shepherd, the kind and caring leader of his flock. But I liked to remind my students at the seminary that they needed to not just see themselves reflected as Jesus in these windows, but as the disciples, if you notice, also present in each window as well. Sleeping under the tree instead of keeping vigil in the garden, studying and being willing to expand their understanding of faith, humbling themselves and allowing themselves to be served and to serve in return. And even in that good shepherd window, as dim-witted sheep who stumble around not knowing what to do all the time, I would remind them that as future pastors, they were called not only to lead as Christ led, but to follow where Christ showed his disciples to go. To not only stand in the pulpit or in the classroom teaching God's people about the grace of Jesus Christ, but to model in their daily living the sacrifice and commitment of being a student of Christ. Being a disciple means doing the unseen and unappreciated work of making an organization run, of helping others be successful, of preparing the way for good and fruitful work to be done in a specific time and place, just like that first Palm Sunday and that first Maundy Thursday. When I think back on when I first felt called to pastoral ministry, I can remember sitting in the pews of my church where I grew up, a church that feels a lot like this one, sitting out there in the pew and listening to the sermon and imagining what would it be like for me to be up there preaching and teaching the congregation. It was watching the work of the pastors in my church and other pastors in the community that helped to create in me a vision for pastoral ministry, much like these windows illustrate the high calling of ordained ministry. But when it comes to the actual work of the church, the real work that makes the church work, it's not the image of any of those pastors that comes to my mind but that of my mother, who worked faithfully as a volunteer when I was a child and then for 20 years on our church's staff. Not as a pastor, but as one of what we used to call the secretaries. 
I truly believe that it is her example as someone who did that unglamorous work of making the church run smoothly that makes me a better pastor. From her, I learned that to do the work in the church that would gain me no accolades, but that would make ministry successful. From her, I learned that God calls all people, not just pastors, to be of good service in the church. And from her, I learned that as a pastor, I would not be able to do the work that I was called to do without faithful disciples working side by side with me as co-laborers in the fields of ministry. For every pastor I know, the pandemic turned on its head everything we all thought we knew about how to do the work of the church. We sometimes joke among our own pastoral staff here about what was life was like for us those several months in 2020 when we created a pod of sorts among our households here on the church campus. Many of my colleagues around the country were envious that our pastors here were able to keep working together and to keep working inside our church buildings while they were trying to do ministry all on their own from their dining rooms. But I can confidently say that all six of us actually felt very alone being the church without you all here. I won't enumerate for you all of the strange tasks of ministry each of us found ourselves doing in those hardest days of the pandemic, only to say that pulling a scared goat out from under a Honda Civic is no longer the strangest thing I've done as a pastor. (laughs) As we approach this fall, our third under the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic and its frustrating twists and turns, There's a significant question being asked in every single church, not just about what the church will look like in September, but what being the church community will look like into the future. This past week, it seems like almost every traditional media site published articles about a concept that's been circulating widely for several weeks on social media, a new pandemic phenomenon called quiet quitting. The idea is that people, especially young people, are pulling back at work, not going beyond what is explicitly asked of them, trying not to think about or really worry about their jobs when they're not in the office. They aren't leaving their jobs, but they no longer see the benefit in going the extra mile for their organization. We all know that if the pandemic changed many of the ways we think about and how we do the work of the church, we all know that it has even more significantly changed how our culture understands employment and employees and that kind of work. The church is always a few steps behind the rest of the culture, but it won't surprise me if next week I get an email from the Christian Century prompting me to read a new think piece about people quietly quitting the church. It's a real concern amongst a lot of colleagues around our denomination, not that folks are leaving the church, but that people just aren't interested in being engaged in the fullness of the life of the church, 
in the ways that so many were before the pandemic. Just kind of assuming that someone else is going to do the work of the church, or that the work of the church is for somebody else. Maybe believing that some things are, that's pastor's work, not the work of all disciples of Jesus Christ, or maybe thinking that there is some work that really staff should do instead of members or volunteers. The pandemic showed us that it is possible for the pastors and the staff and a small but incredibly dedicated group of church leaders and volunteers to keep the shell of a church working in a crisis. But we cannot keep the church alive without the gifts and energy of the whole church, the whole body of Christ. Maybe you think that the work of the church is for someone more important than you here at the church or maybe less important than you here at the church. Maybe it feels like it's work for someone younger, or maybe work for someone older than you. Maybe it's work for someone who is more faithful or religious than you think you are, or maybe it's work that feels a little too menial for it to have a relationship to your life of faith. Maybe you think that you've been a member long enough. You are finally off the hook from the work of the church. Or maybe you don't think you've been a member long enough to have something to contribute. Maybe you just don't think you have the right skill set for the work of the church or that you're worried that the work of the church will push you outside of your comfort zone, which, spoiler alert, it's supposed to do. We've come a long way, but I know there are still just a few things left that we assume are the work of the men of the church or the women of the church rather than the work for us all. The very best news that I have for you today is that we don't need any of you to pick up a single goat for us from a farm this next year. Rachel promised me that, or at least she promised that today. But there are worship services to usher, hospitality to offer for our Wednesday night dinners that will finally resume this fall. There are confirmation students to mentor, anthems to be sung, preschoolers to care for and teach the love of God to in their Sunday school class. There are books in our new library to be organized, children in our community to pray for, casseroles to assemble for local feeding programs, hands to hold as people make their way into worship, flowers to arrange for the homebound, students both young and old in our tutoring program who need to know that there is someone who will show up for them week after week. And there are over 30 committees, councils, and boards in need of fresh eyes and thoughtful leadership. So when you see the flurry of announcements in the bulletin over the next several weeks, when you are approached by a committee chair or one of the pastors, 
or even when you get that call from the nominating committee who will begin their work in earnest this fall. May we remember Jesus' advice to those disciples on how they were supposed to respond to those who would ask what they were doing. Tell them the Lord needs it. The Church of Jesus Christ needs us all to do this work. And there is more than enough work to do for all of us to have a hand in making the church, this church, work and thrive and grow. Amen.
response to the word read and proclaimed, let us remain standing as we share together in the words of our affirmation of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Knowing that in life and in death we belong to God, we give thanks for the life of Alden Tucker, who entered into his eternal rest on August 15th, and we hold his wife Anne in our prayers. Alden's memorial service will be this Tuesday, August 23rd, at 2 p.m. in the chapel. Let us now look to God together in prayer. God of all our times, we have known since the day of our birth that our basic and primal task is to grow to trust in you, to rely on you in every circumstance, to know that you would return when you feel far, to trust that in your absence you will soon be present, to be sure that your silence bespeaks attentiveness and not neglect, to know that in your abiding faithfulness all will be well and all will be well. So as we work to hear you, hear us as well, trying as we might to hold it together, or coming undone, listening for direction, stammering with lament or frustration, or giving thanks for what we've been given. We lift to you the burdens of our time, warring nations in Eastern Europe, inflation fears at home, a warming climate that anticipates environmental crises, growing economic disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And that's only what's in the news, never mind what's in our families and communities. We carry the sorrow of broken relationships, of lost loved ones, of illness, disease, despair, and disquieted lives. Give us direction amidst all this aimlessness. And because we are so bold in this moment, give us hope that our days are not lived in vain, but are grounded in purpose. May our discipleship be shaped not just by the major acts 
but the minor ones, too. May our days be filled with the anonymous deeds of love and commitment, faithfulness, and courage. And may you, Holy One, condescend again and again in response to our prayers, as you did in the life of Jesus, who trusted you fully and who is fully worthy of our trust. We pray as he taught his disciples, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Christian discipleship is the act of following Jesus and doing what he does. May what we offer this day be given with the assurance that acts of generosity are an example of Christ's love. You are invited to make your offering by placing it in the offering plates found in the narthex following worship. And at this time, we encourage you to find the friendship pad located towards the center aisle at the end of your pews to fill it out and pass it down and back so that we might know the names of those with whom we worship.
God of amazing grace, we dedicate these gifts to you. Because you have promised good to us, we act to offer that goodness to others. Help us in our efforts. In the name of your beloved, we pray. Amen.
Friends, go out from this place to serve the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our minds, and our strength. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. Thank you.